Gregory Stewart was murdered on May 29, 2020, and this is his mother's story. Mourning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. East St. Louis is in southern Illinois, directly across from the Mississippi River from downtown St. Louis. In 1950, this was a bustling city, but due to severe job loss, because of industrial restructuring, this city now has a population of only one-third of what it was back in 1950. Malcolm W. Martin Memorial Park is a park on the east side of the Mississippi River in East St. Louis, directly across from the Gateway Arch and the city of St. Louis, Missouri. Its major feature is the Gateway Geyser, a fountain that lifts water up to 630 feet. The Gateway Geyser is a counterpart to the equally tall Gateway Arch and is visible from the west side of the river to the right of the prominent Cargill Grain Elevator. Four smaller fountains around the geyser represent the four rivers which converge near the two cities, the Mississippi, Missouri, Illinois, and Merrimack. The park also includes an elevated viewing point overlooking the river. This city is known for its musicians. Music has always been important here, with the notable Ike and Tina Turner duo hitting the big time. Jazz great Miles Davis grew up here and gained international notoriety. It wasn't impossible. And that is what Gregory Stewart strived to do as well. He had the talent and the passion, the resolve and stick to He was going to be a star. If only he had lived long enough. Hello, good morning. Hi, it's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Hi, how are you today? I'm well, how are you? I'm doing okay. I'm trying to make it. Gregory Stewart's mother and father welcomed Gregory into their family and couldn't be happier than to have had a third son. This beautiful baby arrived home to his two older brothers, who were two and four years old at the time. They couldn't wait to meet him. Letitia, Gregory's mother, her new child coming home, being the baby of the family, was spoiled right from the start. Letitia is one of those mothers that everyone strives to be, showing her love without any hesitation. Being there for her children, always available for them in any capacity they need. Showering them with love and teaching them that family is the most important thing in the world. This brought an intense closeness to their family unit. Gregory was a loving child. He grew up an enthusiastic person with a zeal for life. He followed his dreams and committed himself fully to them. The 
Lee's brothers grew up in an intact family where both mother and father could not be happier than to be parents. This is what they wanted more than anything and encouraged their children to be whatever they wanted. These brothers are very close and spend endless hours together being each other's best friends. Letitia taught their children that they have to pull together. They would always have each other to lean on and support each other. To forever be a close and strong family unit. We was always together. We was always doing things together. You know, it was just, you know, they had this little hand thing they did all the time. And I loved it every time when they saw each other and they got ready to leave each other. You know, but like I said, we're a very close-knit family because, like I said, I was raised in the South and I believe in uh, uh, family, very family-oriented, you know, and family is, means the world to me. Me and my husband, we've been married for, oh, we met in 83, we got married in 86. So this year will be 35 years we've been married, so all three of our kids are from each other and, you know, so... He was very close. You know, he was like an independent person. But, you know, he he was a really loving little boy when he was a little, you know, little boy coming up. And, uh, you know, he had a lot of dreams and stuff, and he kept those dreams and goals. You know, he was wanted to become a... a a rapper, you know, he, he became CEO and stuff of his own music production, which was called uh, GML 1504. And, uh, you know, so he was rising up to the top and, you know, he had for Def Jam, which is a very popular music uh, in the music industrial group, you know, they were scouting him because they was interested in him, you know, he put on shows and stuff and performances and stuff. But, you know, he was really good. You know, he had like people from Ohio, different states and stuff. They would send him tickets and stuff and he would sell them and stuff. And, you know, his audience would, his people that bought the tickets, they would come to his event when he performed and stuff. And, you know, he just was hoping to rise all the way up to the top. And I really feel that once Def Jam became interested in him, you know, he was he was going to make it. And, and, you know, he worked, too, you know. And, he, you know, he had a job, but, you know, that's what he did, too, because that's, that really was his, 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 that was his dream of becoming uh, a famous rapper uh, slash singer. And like I say, you know, he was very good at it. And I supported him, you know. I would support him, help support him financially or anything, you know, because I always was there for my children, which I have two other sons also. And I'm always, I'm just a very supportive mother. And it's like I would give my all for my kids, you know. And it if it was a chance that I could, but unfortunately I can't, you know, I would even give my life now for my son to come back. If, if I, you know, if I could have saved him, I would have, but you know, I was, wasn't around him when this happened. Well, that's a very powerful statement and shows to how much you love your children. I mean, you can hear what a supportive and strong 
woman and role model and mother you are. She has so much. She has, she has music out there on YouTube. It's under Lil Georgia. Uh, he's on, like I see, so, you know, he, he mainly produced his own music. And, and that's mostly what I heard him listening to. <laughs> he enjoyed his sports. The, the, the only sport he sort of took an interest in was basketball a little bit. Because he said the rest of it was too, um, <laughs> you know, he hoped people, like, he, you know, he wouldn't play football at all. When he was small, we put him on the little football team, but he, um, it wasn't for him. Because <laughs> he just, his brother played, but he was like, it, it was too much contact, physical. <laughs> I always enjoy hearing about someone who has a passion as a child that stays embedded within them, a part of who they are, and works hard to ensure that these dreams become realities. Gregory was one of those rare people that pursued his dreams regardless of how difficult it would be to follow them. Breaking into the music business is such a huge challenge, but that didn't deter this remarkable young man. On the contrary, he worked hard continuously to make it happen. He had goals and dreams. He knew he would make it, and so did his mother. Letitia was supportive as all she ever wanted for her children was for them to be happy. Gregory didn't have much free time to listen to a lot of other musicians as he was so focused on his own career. When you found him listening to music, it was his own. Tirelessly getting the word out there that he was a star, that he was someone to watch out for. That Gregory, who went by the stage name Little Georgia, would soon be a household name dedication was beyond belief and he was determined to not only prove to himself but to the world that his natural talent was a force to be reckoned with. Gregory was a father to five children, a brother to two men that he was exceptionally close to, and a son to a devoted mother and father who would have moved heaven and earth to save their child. This is the story of Gregory Stewart's murder. Tell me about the horrible day you found out your son had been murdered. Well, it just, uh, I had, on that particular day, my son, I was calling him, like about, he called me about seven. I was calling him right before that. I called him the day prior, which was on a Wednesday. And, uh, you know, I gave him his favorite food, which was shrimps and some crab meat and stuff. And, you know, he ate and everything. And, you know, he left. But I didn't reach him. So, you know, I came on back home. So he called me about 7 o'clock that evening. And uh, he said he was going to, you know, he's coming by. But I was getting ready to have my Zoom meeting for my Bible study. So I told him, I said, well, just come by 8.30. Because I'm getting ready to have my Bible study. So he said, Okay, Mama, I'll be back. But anyhow, so after my Bible study, he called me. And um, like I said, I'm always doing something for my children and stuff and helping them or whatever, you know. And uh, so I, was, I had some money. And I, said, I, I told him, I said, You know, I have 
some money for you. And uh, so, like I said, when I got through my Bible study, he called and he told me to put it in the mailbox. And I said, oh, okay, I'm glad that you called me. I said, because I'm sort of tired. I'll start to get in my bed, you know. And normally he'll knock on the window, and I didn't want to be woke up. So uh, once I went to sleep, so I said, okay, so I put it in the mailbox. And then he said, I love you, mama. No, I said, I love you, son. I said, I'll see you tomorrow. And then probably like 30 minutes later, my husband was out of town because his sister, she had, was real sick down in Georgia. So he called me and he was like, what, I guess he was trying to see if I knew, I guess. I got a call and he said, Hakeem got shot. So, you know, I was like, what? If you, you know, and I'm trying to, you know, comprehend it. And I put on my clothes and stuff and I called my other son. I don't know how we knew what hospital to go to, but anyhow, we went to the hospital close to us. And uh, I don't really too much, some of the stuff I remember, but I don't remember. But when I got there, you know, I, I just kept saying, why y'all don't get my son across the river? Because we live in Illinois, and the hospital they took him to, which is Touche, is they don't have a trauma unit. They're not equipped to handle a, a gunshot wound. I say, so I can say, get my son across the river to St. Louis, Missouri, because they have the universities, they have the trauma units over their centers. And it was ambulance sitting in, out there, and I don't know why they didn't put him in an ambulance and take him. Y'all got to get my son and take him, get him in an ambulance and take him home. So finally they brought my son out, but I was real close. I, I got close probably about, I was probably about six to eight feet from him, you know, when they rolled him out. But I couldn't touch him or nothing. And uh, he, you know, I remember I screamed and I said, Hakeem, that's his middle name. I said, Hakeem, Hakeem. I said, Mama, I love you. I love you. And then, you know, after that, I just I just lost it, sort of, you know. My sons took me to the car and stuff, and I know he heard me, but they had him sleeping. I said, why is my son sleeping? After that, they um we, we went on across to the other hospital, which is probably about eight minutes from here, from my house over in St. Louis, but it took my son to Slew Hospital. And then we was outside because of COVID, so we could never go in none of the hospitals, so we was out there probably about 30 minutes. So I kept calling and finally the lady, she said, oh, we're going to come and get y'all. So they came and us, but they said one person can come in. So I was under the impression I was coming to see my son. I thought they was taking me to see my son, but they took me to this little room. And then I just was looking at the people and the a lady was a priest or something and they were sitting about five doctors but he was talking. And, you know, I just started saying, I just was looking at them, but I could tell something wasn't right, but I couldn't understand it, you know. And then I just was like, you know, I'm stuff like that. And I, I you know, I, I just, I want to see my son once they finally, you know, said it and told me, he didn't make it, and I was just like, and they wouldn't let me see him. They told me he was already been transported. You know, but they take you out, you know, once. And I said, no, my son is not deceased. That was on a Thursday. And uh, I don't know. Next thing, I just couldn't walk or anything. So I was 
just I was in a wheelchair. And I just don't remember the rest of that. But I know my son said when I came back out, I guess that must be couldn't breathe. They put something on me. But, uh, you know, that was on a Thursday, and I didn't get to see my son until that Monday when we got him back over here to Illinois in the funeral home. And then so they let me see my son at the funeral home over here. And then we took my son and we had him shipped home to Georgia where we're from, and that's what buried him at. This poor mother, because of COVID, had to go in alone. Arriving at the hospital, Letitia was certain she would be seeing her son, never for a second imagining that she would be told the earth-shattering news that was about to change her whole life. Instead of seeing him and holding his hand, telling him that everything would be all right, she was told he had died. Standing there alone, without support, without her family. Unbelievably, they didn't transport Gregory to the hospital that could save his life, the one with a trauma unit. Instead, they had kept him at the local hospital. Well, more of a clinic, really, than a hospital. They can't even deliver a baby there. While he was lying there with a life-threatening wound, instead of a helicopter coming, which would have gotten him to the trauma unit in three minutes, or an ambulance, which would make the journey in 10. It took them three hours. They didn't react for three hours. He may have had a chance had they performed surgery, saving this young man's life, but no, they left him there. Isn't it incomprehensible I can't even imagine this poor family's grief to begin with. But adding that terrible scenario in is giving Gregory's mother such added despair. She is in the process of trying to find out why. What possible reason could there be? It is difficult going up against a hospital to get answers. They have their team of lawyers to speak for them. And this mother has, well, her family. No team of lawyers behind her. Letitia is in the throes of grief her son murdered not even a year ago, struggling to cope, struggling to get justice for her son, and also struggling to get answers from a hospital. She has so much on her plate, yet she is still fighting and is determined to have all of her questions answered. After you, you know, your son came back and he's, you know, you see him at the funeral home and you send him to Georgia. At what point did the police in all of that come and see you and start to talk to you about what happened? I mean, I was in the hospital, the police and all was out there. But the uh, Illinois State Police, they came to my house the next day. Her husband received the call from someone that was on the street when their son was murdered. The young man that had invited Gregory to that house that day had someone call his father. And then he called his wife. A phone call no one ever wants to make, that no one ever should have to make. No one from the hospital ever called, even with Letitia's name everywhere as the emergency contact. 
she feels let down by so many people. The way I'm looking at it now, my son ain't had no friends. These people, they just was use my son for whatever they could get because my son, like I said, he was very kind. He was helpful. He would let people stay in his house, give him a place to sleep. I'm going, he knew these people, though, not just a strange person, but, you know, that he would, like, help feed people the homeless if they was hungry or something. I'm going to ask him for something. But like I said, he had, was around people that he knew. He gave him place to stay. He let this particular individual drive his vehicle for, like, almost two months while he drove his fiancé car. I mean, because he looked at him as, like, a brother. Uh, my son, Gregory Stewart, he was murdered May the 29th of 2020 at 2408 Bond Street in East St. Louis, Illinois. Um, he was called down there by an acquaintance. And, uh, you know, that's basically all I know. And, it, you know, everybody, it was a lot of people out there, but everybody's acting like, I guess they gave these statements or whatever. They didn't even go to no police, but the police found them through their tags and stuff from a store across the street. But they couldn't, the camera couldn't see who did the shooting because the grass was so tall, it was almost tall as a two-story house. And then according to some people that we spoke with, they just claimed that gunshots came from the lane and they all act like they don't know who did it. You know, but I know they have to know when people know what happened. I'm being told, though, I talked to some of the leaders in that area and stuff in that neighborhood, you know, what you call a precinct person and stuff. And these people, they told me that, you know, it wasn't meant for my son. And I'm being told this by other people. It was not being, it wasn't meant for my son. So I don't know, you know. I, I just don't know, but I think my son, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like my son was set up. Sometimes I feel like my son just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, I, do, I don't know. If my son was never called down there, my son would be alive today. And my son, you know, so I'm just trying to get them to cooperate, you know, because I said, if you was his friend, you would get justice. For my son, just like if that was you, my son would tell the truth and get justice for you and your family. And I feel like he should do the same thing. No matter what, he should tell the truth and get justice and give us closure. And like I said, other people out there too, I mean, they know what happened. They know who did it. They know what happened. And, and you know, people talk. And so you might tell your mama, your daddy, your brother, your girlfriend, or whoever. So people know now, even people that weren't out there. So I'm just asking for people to come forward and tell the truth, you know. And all they have to do is contact, like I said, Crime Stoppers, in which their number is one eight six six three seven one eight four seven seven, or the Illinois State Police, or they can contact their local police department, you know, if they have any information. And preferably, they'll be willing to do a statement so that it can stick in court with a statement, you know. So, uh, and I'm just, you know, because our family needs justice. I go out there, I did a memorial, which I have on my Facebook page. 
you know, if you, and, and I created a Facebook page for my son also, it's called Justice Gregory Stewart. It's, it's blue and it says Justice Gregory Stewart. If anyone would like to follow, you know, and offer prayer support, or so share anything in it or whatever, you know, um, as we're seeking justice for my son. When did he get engaged, and how is uh, his fiance handling all this? Well, he was engaged probably for how he he knew the young lady for probably about eight years, but they got engaged within a year prior, you know. But they were planning to get married and stuff once this COVID cleared up and everything, and you know, they were planning to get married and relocate. Um, and she's taking it very hard to, you know, so we just be there for each other and try to support each other. He has five children, uh, two of whom, myself and my husband, we have uh, obtained guardianship of them now. You know, they grew up with us, but my son was always in the picture, you know. And uh, so they know us very well, myself and my husband. And so they're with us now. And the little girl, she's 12, and his son, he's uh, 10. And, uh, you know, they're taking it, they're taking it very hard. You know, I have them in counseling. And, uh, you know, as well as myself, I'm doing counseling and stuff and just taking it day by day and just trying to be supportive and be there for them and help them to, you know, transition through this, you know, to the best of our ability. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, their mother, she passed in 2010. So now they're motherless and fatherless. They don't have any parents. Just, you know. But I thank Jehovah for allowing myself and my husband to be here and to be able to, you know, get guardianship of them and be able to take care of them. This strong couple who raised three children of their own, now missing Gregory every single day with every beat of their hearts, have stepped up, practicing what they have been preaching to their three children, that family comes first, that you are there for each other in every capacity, and always have each other's backs. They are now raising two of Gregory's children. This shows to their noble character, not shying away because their own children are all grown and independent but opening their arms to continue to take care of two of their grandchildren. These kids are very lucky to have such a wonderful and loving family. Letitia is grateful and thankful that they are in a position to care for them. She loves them very much and often sees Gregory in his children. It brings back memories of her son that fills her with such a mixture of emotions. Gregory's other children are nine, eight, and four. They live about an hour and a half away. Their mother comes to visit with Letitia and her family, and they go there to visit as well. They have a solid relationship. And what would you tell other parents that are possibly going through a tragedy like this, you know, to help them get through those early days? Do you have any advice? Just mine, I had a lot of support from my outside family. When I say outside, I mean like my mom and my siblings, my cousins, aunts and uncles, you know, they supported us and, you know, helped us mentally, 
to deal with this situation, you know, uh, they're always there to comfort us and talk to us, you know, on the phone and stuff. Because like I said, they don't live here where we are. Uh, but we go home, they come from the events and stuff. When I have events for my son, you know, they'll come up, come from out of town. And, uh, but just have to pray. You know, I believe in God and I know that my son is resting and I know that I'll see him again in paradise. We'll be reunited. And so that's the biggest thing that's keeping me going is the day that I'll be reunited with him again in paradise. And, uh, you know, so you just have to pray. And then, you know, when you feel down, just pray and ask God to comfort you and give you strength in you. And he will, you know. And like I say, I do a little counseling um, and stuff, you know. So, you know, that's what I would, you know, recommend to other parents. And then my way of dealing with it is advocating and getting my son's story out. I try to share in different groups at least twice a week, either a picture and put some words on it, or I go live to share to keep my son's story out there. Because really I want the world to know who Gregory Stewart is, what happened to Gregory Stewart, and where it happened at. And prayerfully, it will lead to, it'll get to the right person, and it will lead to the arrest of the people that's responsible for killing my son. We feel like we are miniature detectives because a lot of the information, I mean, they have information, but we get a lot of information. And, you know, we are doing leg work and stuff and sometimes putting our own selves in harm's way. But it's what we have to do because if we just sit there, his case would just go cold or to be like, well, you hear about somebody getting killed and then you don't hear anything else about it. But in my case, my family, we're out here always doing something, you know, and I change out the flyers, I make my posters, I laminate them, I put them on all the stop signs throughout the county, I'm all over the Facebook pages, now, like I said, I started going outside of my county, just like I said, I want it all over the world. Letitia wants the one person that has the information needed to arrest the person that murdered her son to hear this and come forward. She knows that she needs to get the word out there. Letitia is trying everything in her power and is confident her son's murder will be solved, knowing that if she doesn't continue to fight, then no one will hear her words, her anguish and pain, her loss. She is a loving and doting mother and needs to have someone arrested. She says how you never know who will hear this and the right person will know the answers, the answers to her prayers. Continually putting the Crime Stoppers picture out in the public eye may catch the right person's attention as well. They may see it and say they want to come forward. There is a family grieving and they not only want but need answers. Letitia reminds the public that there is still someone out there who is a murderer and they may kill someone else. She feels that the neighborhood where Gregory was killed has the answers. She is certain of that. Someone knows what happened. Use your conscience and have the guts to come forward. Do the right thing. But the most hurtful part is sitting here wondering 
why, what, and how my son felt in his last minutes of life under my son's suffering stuff. And uh, sitting here trying to figure out who did it, where they at, why they not in jail. You know, I just want my day in court. And I want these people to be held accountable. Gregory's mother wants nothing more than the person responsible to be brought to justice and forever have to think about what they did to her family, Gregory's children. His daughter will come to her and tell her how much she misses her father and that brings debilitating sadness to her. Although she is thankful she has 31 years of memories, that doesn't put a dent in the sorrow she feels or pause the deep loss and how much she misses him. Someone must be charged with the murder for her family to be able to start the healing process. Until that day comes, they walk in a mist, one that makes no day seem clear, no day bring joy. Letitia is speaking in April at an event as a mother surviving the murder of her child. She will continue to advocate for families even once her son's murder is solved. She wants nothing more than to help others and put an end to violence. She is such a strong and powerful woman. Letitia knows she is her son's voice and she is not shying away from her new role. This doesn't diminish her sadness. Her thoughts are always on her beloved son. But instead, it fuels her to be empowered to seek a conviction for her son, for her family, which she knows will happen. And once that has, she will fight for others. It seems a fire has ignited in Letitia, and she plans to let it burn, fueling her energy to find justice for the son she so adores, Gregory Stewart. I thank you for taking the interest and, uh, you know, giving us you know, your prayers and support. And I, I really appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. And you take care and keep me posted on everything, okay? Okay. Thank okay. you. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. And have a blessed day. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank everyone for being here this week. I have been getting such amazing feedback from the families that tell their stories here. This is all thanks to you, our listeners. I greatly appreciate your support and dedication to Mourning the Murdered. While producing the podcast, I need many tools to be able to bring you quality content each week. I now have an affiliate link with Amazon. And by simply clicking on the link before you make your Amazon purchases, you are helping to support my podcast. Once you click on the link, you will be redirected to your Amazon page, ordering as you normally would. There are no extra costs and no fees. Just go to my website, morningthemurderedpodcast.com, and click on the affiliate link. You can also, as always, support the podcast by sending a one-time PayPal contribution or through Patreon, you can donate as little as $1 a month. All of the links can be found on morningthemurderedpodcast.com. So your help is only one click away. 
I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one and let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain, but surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks.